This is our fifth session on Colossians 1, 3 through 8. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Having heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. And where did you hear about that hope? He's going to talk about the gospel now and its power as it moves through the world. You heard about this, which you heard before in the word of truth, namely, the gospel. I'm just going to stop right there because I was so arrested by asking the question, why didn't he just say, which you heard before in the gospel? Why did he insert the word of truth, which he also did in one other place, namely in Ephesians 1.13, the word of truth, the gospel, very same phrase. Why? Father, as we pose this question, especially in our day, this is why I've been so exercised about this, because of what I see around me in the late 20th and early 21st century, an indifference to the true and the beautiful and the good. So God, come as, as I ponder this and use it to sober us and deepen us and convince us with joy that there is such a thing as truth and how to relate to it. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, the simple thing that I'm doing is drawing out the obvious because sometimes the obvious is the most important thing you need at any given time. Namely, Paul believes there is such a thing as truth. Is that not important? Like you think, well, duh, of course he believes in the truth. Well, lots of people don't. So what does Paul mean? by the truth and that it exists. The word of truth. He calls the gospel a word of truth, and he considers that not superfluous. He did not throw this phrase away. It's important that we think of the gospel in the category of truth, not the category of opinion or the category of myth or the category of deceit. This is truth. So what does that mean to call it truth? In Ephesians 4.25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away all falsehood, everything that is not true, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. So Paul has these categories, truth and falsehood. If you say something, it's either true or false. What does he mean by that? My suggestion is that truth with regard to existence, what is existence, truth is what is. When I ask about the truth about the being of something, I want to know what it really is. And with regard to action, I want to know what ought to be. So truth in relation to action or attitude is what ought to be. Truth in relation to 
Existence is what is. So when you speak a sentence, does it accurately communicate what is? Does it correspond with what is reality, or does it correspond with what ought to be if it's talking about action? That's what I think Paul has in mind, at least, there's more, at least when he speaks about the truth. And the measure of what is and what ought to be is God. God is absolute existence, and God is absolute right and wrong, morality. He, his will and his word communicate what is and what ought to be. So the ultimate question about what is true is measured by who God is and what he has said and what he has willed about all things. Now the question is, if it matters to Paul that there is such a thing as truth and that the gospel be thought of in the category of truth, not error, truth, not falsehood, truth, not opinion, truth, not myth. If that's important, second question, how should we relate to truth? And you, you would say, well, I guess we should know it and believe it. Yes, but there's more. Look at Second Thessalonians 2. The coming of the lawless one, this is Paul's description of the end time in this Antichrist figure, the lawless one, is by the activity of Satan with all power of false signs and wonders, lots of lying, lots of deception going to happen, and with all wicked deception, these, these anti-truth words, deception for those who are perishing because they did not. Now, here it is. Welcome a love for the truth. That's my literal translation. Did not welcome a love for the truth. So truth is not just to be known. It's not just to be affirmed or acquiesced in or assented to or believed. It is to be loved. It is a moral good to love what we know to be true. If you are indifferent to what you know to be true. Now, there are true ugly things, and the right disposition towards them is disgust or hate or rejection. But this is talking about the truth of the gospel. And whenever something is true and beautiful, true and right, we are to love it, not just assent to it, in order that we may be saved. You see what's at stake in loving the truth? He, he goes on and says it again. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. If they reject the love for the truth, God confirms them in it. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. Now, there's the word believe. Here's the word love. But watch what the contrast is. They did not believe the truth, but, contrast, took pleasure in unrighteousness. Those are the alternatives. You can believe the truth, or you can take pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, that means that believe is never merely a, an intellectual act of assent or reception. 
It is a taking pleasure in, which is what love means. It is a loving of the truth, a loving of the truth, a pleasure in the truth. And the alternative is to take pleasure in unrighteousness. So my answer to the question, how should we respond or react or relate to the gospel as truth, is that we should love the truth. It is a mark of a healthy soul that we love truth and we hate deceit. Final question. What must happen for that love for the truth to take place? Because these folks had faith in Jesus Christ. They had love for the saints. They saw the hope laid up because they heard this truth. Now, how does truth do that? Because it doesn't do that for everybody, right? Some people hear this truth and scoff at it, reject it, persecute it. What must happen? 2 Timothy 2.24, one of these amazing texts that guided my thinking about pastoral ministry for years. The Lord's servant, so anybody who considers themselves a, a servant of Jesus, which we all are as Christians, but this is probably focusing on pastors or elders. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Okay, now you've done your part in handling the word of truth. What must happen for that to be effective in your opponents who are rejecting the truth? What must happen? Here's what must happen. God may perhaps grant, grant them repentance. And if he does, it will lead to a knowledge of the truth. That is, a kind of understanding of the truth that will embrace the truth and love the truth. Here's another way to put it. They may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, the great deceiver, after being captured by him to do his will. So the devil has deceived many people. They do not have a knowledge of the truth, and therefore they do not love the truth. Your job in relation to those people is don't be quarrelsome, be kind, teach well, patiently endure evil, correct opponents with gentleness, and then pray earnestly that God would grant them repentance, that is a change of mind, which leads to the knowledge of the truth and to a love for the gospel and salvation. So it really matters that Paul used the word truth here, and I just commend to you to be people of truth. Know the truth, value the truth, love the truth, and pray for God to use you to open people to the truth, especially the truth of the gospel.